Your hosts are here, Sammy and Michelle. By the end of this podcast, you'll know them well. Adulting, navigating the journey of life. Careers to relationships, pain and strife. Put down the rule book. Rethink the status quo. If there's another direction you want to go, find purpose, passion and mastery in all that you do with Status Post Adulting. Hey, Status Post Adulting fam. This is Sammy and Michelle. And you're listening to the 47th episode of Status Post Adulting, where we are going to be talking about apology languages. But first, let me check in with my co-host, Michelle. How are you doing, Michelle? I'm doing well, Sammy. I've been enjoying spending a little bit of extra time with you since you've been off for work. Yes, I am workless for the next, like, month and a half. And me and Michelle just went down to our new small town that we are going to be moving to. With our parents. We recently went there with our parents, but we will be moving there alone (laughs) (laughs) at the end of January. We were all down there just to set things up. And it's funny because like when you get there, it is a little ghost towny. But then soon after being there, you meet so many people because they're so friendly and nice. And also our parents are introducing themselves to like literally everybody. Yes, I mean, hard to say if the people are friendly or if our parents are really friendly. They have literally introduced themselves to everybody. My mom keeps being like, everyone here is waving to me. But I have noticed that she (laughs) waves first. (laughs) That is true, Michelle. And another thing I really like about our new small town is there are tons of liberated animals, some would say stray animals, wandering the streets. There's little stray cats. And these cats are like, they're not fat, but they're not scrawny. They're like really husky cats. And there's tons of stray dogs. And it's funny because one morning there were these two German shepherds who were like wandering around and my mom was talking about how like she had woken up at night and then she looked outside and there were these two wild cats just walking outside and then in the morning time when she saw the German shepherds she's like oh that's them (laughs) and one thing about our parents is they're very bad at distinguishing animals from each other to be honest I won't deny that this has been somewhat passed on to me If I see a fat horse versus a scrawny cow, it's going to be a little bit hard for me to distinguish. Sammy and I are really bad at identifying animals, but our parents are super, (laughs) super, super bad at it. It's true, Michelle. Our parents are very bad at identifying animals. Like one time my mom saw this photo of a tiger on my phone and she's like, oh, whose dog is that? And one time I was testing them. So I showed them a photograph, emphasis on photograph of a rhinoceros. And first I showed it to my mom, and she guessed that it was a hippopotamus. So then I showed it to my dad, and he guessed that it was a dinosaur. (laughs) And this is a photograph. So dinosaurs are extinct. So, like, dinosaurs should just definitely not have been in the realm of possibilities. Yeah, our whole drive up and down was just wrongly guessing animal names. But it is definitely very funny. And sometimes I'm not sure if maybe it's, like, a language thing. Like, maybe they know what the animals are called in Malayalam, and they just don't know the English words. But honestly, I do think that that might be a little generous. I think (laughs) nobody has taught them any animals. Despite the fact that both of them grew up with a lot of different types of animals, I really don't think they know their animals very well. Like cobras, goats, like real serious animals that we don't encounter every day. They can identify those. Goats are kind of like a half and half. All that to say, we weren't surprised when they thought the German shepherds were big cats. 
Though, had I anticipated it, Sammy, I would have been a little bit less scared. (laughs) And to our parents, I want to say sorry for mocking your misjudgment and mislabeling of animals. I know that may have hurt you and made you feel humiliated. And (laughs) (laughs) this is going astray, Sammy, but I appreciate the transition. Today, we will be talking about the five apology languages. Which we're really excited to talk about because the five apology languages are from the same person who wrote the five love languages, Reverend Gary Chapman, plus he worked on it with Jennifer Thomas. And Sammy and I have been meaning to do this topic for a while. We had a chance to fully listen to the book, The Five Languages of Apology. And I think you would agree, Sammy, we both feel like it's such a powerful message And we really wanted to be able to talk about it and help you identify your apology language. I definitely have a greater appreciation after reading this book on really how powerful an apology is and how it really is just a form of extreme ownership over something that you've done. That's right, Michelle. Gary and Jennifer talk about the five languages of apology, which are expressing regret, accepting responsibility, making restitution, genuine repentance, and requesting forgiveness. Exactly, Sammy. And the interesting thing about the five apology languages versus the five love languages is the five love languages, it feels a little bit more binary sometime where it's take it or leave it if it's something that you enjoy and listen to our episode on the five love languages if you're not familiar. But the five apology languages tend to build more on top of each other. And while you might appreciate hearing an apology from any of these parts of the five apology languages, usually there's a primary one or two that really helps you believe that the apology is sincere. And that's why the apology languages are so important, because if somebody does the other three or four apology languages, you might still doubt in your mind that the apology is sincere because it doesn't have one of these other aspects. Excellent point, Michelle. And that brings us to our first apology language, which is expressing regret, which is actually my top apology languages. We will link to the quiz on apology languages in our show notes. Expressing regret is pretty simple. It's pretty much someone saying they're sorry and the best type of expressing regret is they are saying they're sorry and also acknowledging how whatever they did made you feel. So let's say someone was an hour late to meet you somewhere. Don't know who does that. And that person comes in and they say, I'm sorry. I know you've been standing here in the cold and you were probably wondering if I was ever going to show up. I know that probably left you feeling a little bit lost and alone, and I really apologize for that. The interesting thing, Sammy, about expressing regret, the first part of the apology languages, is that it does seem really simple, like you're just saying you're sorry. But we really live in a culture where a lot of times people don't want to take ownership for the things that they're doing, whether it's someone you're in a relationship with, your boss, politicians. We almost feel like saying sorry is this admission of guilt. And that's actually one of the reasons why it's so powerful, because for a lot of people, even if you express a lot of regret or you try to make something better, if you don't say, I'm sorry, they don't know that you actually are taking responsibility for what has occurred. Exactly, Michelle. And I was not really surprised to find that this was my apology language, because when I heard about apology languages, I thought 
I guess I pretty much forgive most people who apologize to me. And it seems like my bar for apologies is relatively low compared to others. <laughs> Doesn't mean I wouldn't eliminate them from my life if I found that their character was flawed, but apology-wise, I'm pretty forgiving. A key thing too, Sammy, with the apology language vernacular is that you should never use the big but. There is no, I'm sorry, I'm late, but my Uber was late, there was traffic, you chose a spot where there's no parking, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. Apology language does not include your excuses, which I think we're all guilty of. But at the end of the day, it's not the thing a person wants to hear. So true, Michelle. The second apology language is accepting responsibility. Accepting responsibility is taking ownership over what you've done. You might be saying, I'm sorry, when you're expressing regret, but people also like to hear that you accept responsibility for what you've done. Absolutely, Michelle. For both of us, accepting responsibility is our number two apology language. And it's not surprising because I think a lot of people appreciate hearing other people take ownership over the mistake. I see this all the time working in healthcare. I think a lot of times people don't want to own a mistake because they are worried that that ownership will be associated with liability. But I find even in the most extreme of situations, taking ownership really conveys that you are going to be honest about what's happening, you acknowledge your mistakes, and it makes people feel like you're not going to do those kind of things in the future. Whereas if people don't take ownership over their errors, I know me personally, I kind of worry that they're just going to continue making a bunch of errors, which they're not going to own, which can be scary. And that's why taking ownership or accepting responsibility is so important. Definitely, Sammy. That's a really great example of a great opportunity to accept responsibility and some of the benefits that can come from it when you do accept responsibility for the things that are happening. Because it gives you an opportunity too, I think, to move forward and make corrections. Which brings us to our third apology language, Michelle, which is making restitution. Making restitution refers to trying to correct the wrong that has been done by either paying someone back or trying to make up for it in a physical or monetary way. For example, if you stand up your friend and don't go to a movie with them and they already bought tickets, maybe you would pay for the tickets and schedule the next movie date. You're not just apologizing, but you're trying to correct the wrong that has been done to that person. Definitely, Sammy. You're really saying, what can I do to make this right? And an interesting thing that they talk about in the book is that making restitution, it's tied in a lot of times to the person's love language. If you do something wrong and you bring them flowers, if gifts aren't their love language, they might throw it back in your face and say, I don't want flowers. That's not doing anything for me. But if their love language is quality time, you might be able to make restitution by making plans to spend time together for whatever it was that you missed or basically being able to make it up to them in a way that would actually be meaningful to them because you're speaking their love language. That's a great point, Michelle. When you use someone's love language to make restitution, you are ensuring you're doing it in a way that they would appreciate. Absolutely, Sammy. And our fourth apology language is genuine repentance, which is my apology language. And it made a lot of sense when I learned about this because when it comes to apologizing to me, unfortunately, I am not the most forgiving person. 
A lot of times people apologize to me and say, I'm sorry. And I say, we're good. And we're not good. (laughs) We might be good, but I don't necessarily feel that it's sincere unless I know that person is going to change. And so genuinely repenting is focused on changing your behavior, saying, I'll try not to do this again, and really stating an intention to change and making a plan to change. This is true what Michelle says about not being someone who easily forgives. Michelle is a grudge holder, and she will spite you for the rest of her life. I'm a Capricorn. She's a Capricorn, and she's a true Capricorn. And it's a little bit scary as her sister, because it's easy to get on her wrong side. For example, I oftentimes get her clothes dirty when I wear them, or I'll be disturbing her with my audiobooks or music, especially in the morning time, as we have mentioned before. Or anytime I accidentally put her in an unsafe situation, she will probably hold a grudge on me for at least half a day or longer. I would like to point out that in each of these examples, Sammy openly admits that she does it over and over and over again. And that is my problem with it. Because she'll say, I'm sorry, but the next morning, I'll hear a little (laughs) chitter-chatter from her phone again. Because she does not actually care She's not actually sorry, and I know she's going to do it the next day. So learning about genuine repentance was great for our relationship because my biggest issue with people apologizing is I'm not necessarily bothered by what that person did because for me, if you keep doing something, how am I supposed to see your apology as sincere? Because to me, if you were actually sorry about what you did and you knew that I was upset about it, you would stop doing it. And so a key thing here is definitely working to make the change to try to make sure it doesn't happen again. And also in the book, they talk about stating that you're going to make that change. That might seem like wordless or you're just saying words, but it's actually really helpful to state that you want to change because otherwise you might be trying to do the work, but that person doesn't know you're doing anything and they just think you're going about your life, not caring that you had wronged them. This is true. And so for Michelle and I, Now, what I try to do is come up with a plan on how I can be better and try to avoid these errors in the future. For example, for borrowing her clothes and getting them dirty, it's just best that I probably don't borrow them at all. A wonderful solution for both of us. So for our last apology language, Gary Chapman and Jennifer talk about requesting forgiveness. And Michelle and I will say that this is on the bottom of both of our lists. Truly, Sammy, until I read this book, it has actually never even occurred to me that people want you to request forgiveness. I agree, Michelle. Requesting forgiveness is just as it sounds. It is literally the person asking the person they have wronged for forgiveness. For example, they would say, I'm sorry for doing X. Will you forgive me? Or can you forgive me? It, to me, seems a little odd. When I was reading it as examples on the apology quiz, I personally interpreted it as the apologizer trying to make the whole situation about them and trying to clear their own guilty conscience. But for people who this is their apology language, it really shows an admission of guilt. It shows that you are admitting that you have been wronged. And especially in situations where the wrongdoing was more major, you know, maybe you cheated on your partner or maybe you have been financially deceiving your partner. Saying that you were wrong and asking for forgiveness acknowledges that you realize how serious the offense was. And you also realize that that person isn't automatically going to forgive you with a simple, I'm sorry. 
Moreover, Sammy, one thing I really appreciated when we were listening to this book was where you're really willing to put the future of your relationship into the hands of another person. And one thing that Gary and Jennifer talk about is how for a lot of people who might be more controlling, it's actually very difficult for them to request forgiveness because that is saying to the other person, I'm going to be vulnerable, I've done this work, and I want to know, will you forgive me? And they may or they may not forgive you. If someone asked that of me, I don't know, I think I would feel like it was a big deal and like I really had to put myself out there to ask somebody for forgiveness. So listening to some of the examples in the book and seeing how it plays out, I really had a new appreciation for situations where this could be appropriate. And it's helpful to know because maybe this is important to my friends and it would literally have never occurred to me when apologizing to also ask for forgiveness. So takeaways for this episode, Michelle. The big takeaway is that each person has different ways in which they accept apologies. And knowing the five apology languages, expressing regret, accepting responsibility, making restitution, genuinely repenting, and requesting forgiveness will help you know what you want and what your partner wants to help apologize in a way that's effective and can lead to healing the relationship in the future over time. I would say, Sammy, for apology languages, definitely if you and the people in your life can take the quiz, that is one of the best ways to learn what your apology languages is. For me, it's not like love languages where I can do like small little tests and gestures for people and see what it means to them. I think apology languages, a lot of it helps to just be able to take the quiz. There are some questions you can ask to somebody. For example, when was the time that you got an apology that you weren't satisfied with? And you can see there too what was missing and that would probably tell you what their primary apology language is. That's great advice, Michelle. I really love the Apology Languages book by Gary Chapman and Jennifer Thomas. One, they have great examples which make the book so interesting. I would agree, Sammy. The book has a pretty heavy (laughs) Christian overtone, more I would say than the five love languages, so that's definitely something to consider. But a counterbalance to that is they give the most salacious examples. And Sammy and I were listening together and we were just laughing out loud because the problems that they highlight are definitely real, but they escalate so much. And it's just made a little bit funnier to listen to. Yeah, it definitely makes it entertaining. I just really appreciated in listening to this book on how being good at apologies is such a status post-adulting thing because it really takes you from just being a person who is somewhat self-centered going through their day to a really high integrity person who owns their mistakes and also finds the best way to communicate with someone about those mistakes and errors. I definitely agree, Sammy. And we were talking about it, and we were talking about how in our family, in our extended family, in a lot of the adults that we saw growing up, we really never heard anybody apologizing. We didn't really have a model for what this looks like. I don't know if it's something with Indian culture or something within our family, but... I think looking back, I can see why I myself am maybe not the best at apologizing to people or accepting apologies because I just didn't really have a concept or a framework for thinking about it. And this book really does a good job of using their research to help build a way to communicate with people and to honestly build better relationships. 
it's not necessarily healthy to just cut people off because they don't make you happy or to struggle with relationships because you don't know how to apologize to somebody in a way that helps show to them that you're being sincere. That's so true, Michelle. I think it's really common that a lot of people have not grown up in a way where they've seen apologies performed in a really effective manner. I think in general, the idea of communicating more clearly with your partner is something that's becoming more and more popular. And one thing with apologies in general is I really saw how it's a two-way street. Yes, there's a person who did the wrong asking for the apology, but then there's also the person who feels like they've been wronged. Sometimes if you're that person, you have to acknowledge that you feel like you've been wronged and that you want an apology. It's easy to sit there and be passive aggressive and not deal with things or just cut people off. But being like, hey, this hurt me. I want to talk about it. And I feel wronged and I I kind of expect an apology from you. It's a very vulnerable thing to say, but it's something that helps communication and it helps modify behavior for the future. A part of that too, Sammy, for me, I realized is giving people the opportunity to apologize, to grow and to change. I think it was easy for me to dismiss things as character flaws or to be able to say, hey, like, Maybe we just don't work together. We don't get along together because we're different people. When in reality, if you're able to communicate how you feel to people and give them the opportunity to make changes if they want to, that can actually really build strong relationships in your life. And moreover, Michelle, I think if you're the person who's experiencing the wrongdoing, you might think, oh, well, if I forgive this person, then I've condoned their behavior or I've said it's okay or I'm kind of saying that I'm forgetting about what happened. One thing they bring up is that forgiveness is not the same thing as restoring trust. Every time there's a wrongdoing against a person, the trust between those people is slightly more destroyed. Gary and Jennifer talk about trust as a tender plant. Anytime something happens to break the trust, the plant is a little bit destroyed and it takes additional watering and sunshine and growth to slowly grow that plant back. So just because you've forgiven someone for their error, it will take much longer time to rebuild the trust. I agree, Sammy. I really liked the distinction they made there where they talk about forgiveness really being about lifting what had happened between you and somebody else and forgiving that specific thing that happened. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't on a journey to rebuild your trust and to rebuild your relationship with that person, depending on what happened. And overall, I'll say in the book that I don't think they excuse anything or they act like apologies can just forgive away everybody's problems. They do a really good job at looking at the nuances and how to have good communication skills to be able to either build your relationships or at least be able to see like how sincere this person might really be. That's right, Michelle. And so for this week's content corner, I would say check out The Five Languages of Apology by Gary Chapman and Jennifer Thomas. It is way more interesting than you might think. And definitely the examples will be very real, but also very interesting. Keep it juicy. So I highly recommend checking out the book and also taking the apology quiz to see where you fall as far as apology languages go. Totally, Sammy. And if you do take the apology languages quiz, we would love to know your apology language. No matter who you are, we haven't even really asked our friends about this. So 
We would love to know because if we wrong you in the future, we want to know. We want to be able to sincerely say we're sorry to you. And we always want to deepen our relationships with you. So let us know. Also, let us know if you want a sticker, one of our Status Post Adulting stickers. Send us a message. You can DM us on Instagram at Status Post Adulting. Send us a text. Send us an email, statuspostadulting at gmail.com. Let us know. We've gotten a couple of requests and we definitely want to be able to send you some merch. And most importantly, be sure to join us next time as we put down the rule book and rethink the status quo.